Welcome back, everybody, to the For Freedom podcast. Mm. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We're going to get into that verse in just a little bit. Come on. But uh, it's good to be here. James, how you doing, man? Doing good, John. How are you? You having a good time? Uh, it's been a while. John, man, who, who slayed that message last week on the podcast? Uh, someone, man, they... They just went field, I mean, base hit. Uh, what am I thinking here? Last second home uh, game winner shot. I mean, knocked it out of the park on that message. You're ridiculous. <laughs> it was good stuff, John. It's good stuff. Well, we'll see how people, I mean, that, that I, I know that there's there's pushback. Like, it's not a podcast. It's not a, it's not a sermon. It's a podcast. It's not a podcast. It's a sermon. But, I mean, you know, somebody, one person got some help from it, and that's what we'll do. And We got Amen. one lined up from James if we have a, a time where we can't get together. We got a couple of things we're trying to get lined up. But um, You want to give a sneak peek of what's going to happen in two weeks, John? Nope. I don't no. know what's going to happen in two weeks. Well, we, we think it's going to happen in two weeks. What we're doing this Friday? Oh, I don't know. I haven't even talked to my wife yet. Oh, never mind. Well, we're just going to wait on that. There's uh, your sneak peek right there. <laughs> uh, we do want to let you guys know, if you're listening, hey, we're going to be in April. So the third week of April. I think third week of April, right, John? It is April 19th, 20th, and 21st because my yes. birthday is 20th. That's right. So in that April 19th, 20th, 21st, we, me and John uh, are going to be in Kentucky, in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, at the Together for the Gospel conference, and uh, we want you guys to join us. Uh, we're going to do a little meetup there. Uh, I know we've got at least one other person that has said they're going to be going there, um, and I've got been in contact with some friends of mine. And so uh, we're going to try to get a time where we can meet up maybe on that 20th on John's birthday and uh, try to find some free time in our schedule uh, to be able to get together and hang out and have a good time. Maybe do a little bit of a live recording while we're there, maybe a Q&A with Dr. Hollyfield. Uh, we never but, know what may happen uh, while we're there. John loves those Q&As anyways, and so we'll definitely do some fun stuff. So hopefully you can come and meet up with us in Louisville, Kentucky. If you've been thinking about going, uh, this may be a time to go ahead and register, and it's going to be a good time. It's the last time that Together for the Gospel is going to be going on, and so we're looking forward to it, so hopefully you can join us as well. Yeah, um, James is actually going to put it on the on the RFP facebook community group and uh throw it out there for anybody that'd like to to get the word out but yeah we're gonna try to um do a little rfp meetup and um this is some of the speakers that's going to be at t4g you got mark dever pastor of capitol hill baptist in washington dc sinclair ferguson a good scottish guy david platt the author of Radical, Alistair Begg, another good Scottish guy. I really love Alistair Begg. That's who I'm excited to hear. He's good. Uh, John Piper and H.B. Charles. H.B. Charles is always good. Mm-hmm. Shy Lynn is another one I'm excited about hearing because I love his music. Kevin DeYoung and mm-hmm. Ligon Duncan. If, so, guys, if you've never heard Kevin DeYoung, be prepared for your mind to be blown. Um, <laughs> he is a guy that Man, every time he speaks, he says something that uh, makes me say, wait, what did he just say? <laughs> because yeah, he's, and so, I, he's so cerebral, I guess will be the term. Um, he gets you thinking, and he he's a very educated man. So, And I really, really, really wish I had Ligon Duncan's voice. Yeah, he's got a good one, too. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's coming up in April, and so we'd love to see other people of the RFP family there. And... Uh, we hope to you reach out to us and let us know you're going. Yeah. And uh, we'll get reach some more details and figure it out what we're going to be doing as it gets closer. But now <clears throat> we're going to jump into our episode of Galatians 5. So I think we just need to roll that beautiful bean footage. Mm. I do not mean to be mean. I do mean to be mad. You obey your pastor. If you ain't got the King James, you ain't got... Hey, if you don't have a King James, you don't have a Bible. But you know, there's something about that whole when you just look at the pitiful 
I still believe it'd be a cold day in hell before I get my family from a woman. I'm a preacher. The young preachers that do love God get pulled off into Calvinism. And I'll fight it. I'll fight it. I'll fight you in the parking lot over it. I'll get personal with you. When you got dressed today, you dressed deity. This is the For Freedom Podcast, a podcast that is part of the RFP Network that seeks to bring freedom in Christ from the spiritual abuse of legalism in the independent fundamental Baptist movement. Now here are your hosts, John Hollyfield and James Saprit. So fundamentalism is designed to uh, unpack the idea of authority from Scripture. The problem with that is that that's not the defining principle in Scripture. It is a part of Scripture, but the defining principle in Scripture is love. that all men who sit under the, uh, that teaching will become abusive. But what I'm saying is the ones who are abusive will be drawn to that sort of teaching. I don't want to give people just a list of things they can start doing differently until they have a heart out of which they're going to be doing those things differently. Bitterness is different from hurt. I would say that hurt or even abuse does not have to result in bitterness. James, what do you think? You think we need to re-edit that intro? Maybe make one of those a little louder, but other than that, it's a great intro, John. I'm oh, so you don't think you don't think we need to like we need to diet down because it's a little bit too too much? No, never. Maybe add a little more spice to it, John. You know? More spice. <laughs> a little more spice to that beautiful bean footage, baby. Yeah, that's Come right. Come on. <laughs> okay. I, I I love listening to our intro. I, that may be a little um, vain of me to say, but I it's it gets me going, man. It makes me... Uh, like one of our listeners said uh, on one of the comments, um, it makes me feel like I'm about to go to war. I'm just ready to attack everything. And so <laughs> that's where it's at. That's what it makes me feel like. So that's good. Well... We're going to talk a little bit. We get the reason to understand that is because, um, you know, when Paul goes to Galatians, Paul really is talking about spiritual warfare against the idea of legalism, and uh, so it sort of sort of connects that way. And that's where we're going to go now. We're going to jump into Galatians chapter five. We've been uh, doing a Bible study series here and there, going through the book of Galatians, and uh, we've covered chapters one through four. And uh, this letter was written by Paul to many churches in the region of Galatia. And after Paul had been there on his missionary journey, had um, many had come to Christ and established some churches, he left. And after he left, some people came in, known as the Judaizers, and began to teach, uh, basically adding to the gospel that in order to keep their salvation and their standing with God, that they also must be circumcised. And so this started to take over the churches. They, one of the other things that they did was they started to denounce Paul as being an apostle and writing Paul's name through the dirt. So Paul wrote, writes this letter to the churches in the region of Galatia, and uh, he is upset from the get-go and writes some pretty strong language. In chapter 1, he is just straight at him. You know, how did you, how did you go through this? People who come to you with another gospel— you know, it's not another, and they need to be accursed. He goes into chapter 2, and he begins to tell some some personal stories about him and uh, Peter. He talks about the, the Jerusalem conference out of Acts 15 first, and then he talks about this story where he actually stood up to Peter's face and uh, against Peter sort of making a legalistic position whenever the, the men of Jerusalem from James's church came in and saw him sitting with Gentiles. And then at the end of chapter 2, he starts going into some doctrine. It's where we get that uh, wonderful, wonderful verse in verse 20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. 
in the life which I now live, I live by the faith, I live by faith by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then when you get into chapter three, he starts talking about the difference between law and grace, and he goes into talking about using an Old Testament um, illustration. So you got more doctrine in chapter three. And then chapter four, he continues on with the, the, the illustration, talking about slavery and, and heirs and being children of God. And that's what we covered last time. He uses the illustration of, of um, Hagar and, and Sarah and their offspring and correlates that over to our position in Christ. And this brings us to chapter five. And quite honestly, James, chapter five, verse one, really... Um, sort of belongs in chapter four, the mm-hmm. the 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 transition to talking about something else really doesn't happen in verse two, but uh, verse one is there in chapter five. But you know what? Before we jump into like breaking this down, let's read the chapter. Why don't you start off and you read through verse thirteen, and I'll I'll finish it up. All right. <clears throat> Why don't I read four twenty or thirty one just so we can get that context? So it bleeds over a little bit. Says so, brothers. We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to any yoke of slavery. <clears throat> Look, I, Paul, say unto you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obliged to keep the whole law. You were severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This um, persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In, the ca- in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you who were called to freedom, brothers... Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, or kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. James, as we say most of the time when we start this out, I don't know how we're going to get through all this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this may be the first one where we split up. So first, I, I mentioned earlier about how the first verse really is a continuation of the previous chapter, and then verse 2 really goes on with, with the thought of this chapter. 
But the first church, the first verse is the thesis statement of Galatians, and it's and it's our thesis statement for our podcast, Galatians five one. You know, uh, for for freedom, baby, for freedom, four horsemen, let's go. Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What do you think about with this verse? This is one of those verses, John, that gives us sort of a, a thesis as our entire life is following the gospel. Not only the book of Galatians, not only the this this podcast, but there is nothing that is holding us into slavery. There's nothing that is holding us down if we are in Christ. If we are living a life that is pleasing and honoring to Christ, he has set us free. And all the Bible, as the Bible says, the old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And that's what it's saying here. The freedom that Christ has given us has set us free, and we can stand firm, therefore. Uh, we can be firm on that thought. We can be firm in knowing that Christ has set us free. There's confidence in knowing that Christ has set us free, and we don't have to submit to any yoke of any slavery and it's just a, so freeing so liberating uh in the, hopefully we'll get uh be able to talk more about, about our story me and your story here in a couple of weeks uh but to know where we came from and to know that what the legalism that has held us down and so many times the oppression that people tell us all the time how they were they, they couldn't be happy just going to church because they felt like they had a follow these five 17 steps of rules to obey and listen. But knowing that there's that freedom that Christ gives us, we don't have to live in that bondage that so many times legalism does to us. Yeah, that's good. I want to, I want to look at it. I got a couple of quotes here sort of breaking uh, it uh, address this verse. Chuck Swindoll said freedom in Christ means also to be freed from the law's curse. Christ set us free so we could bask in the benefits of his salvation living out our freedom in Christ without guilt or condemnation. That's so good. Wearsby goes on to say, to go back to law is to become entangled in a maze of do's and don'ts and to abandon spiritual adulthood for a second childhood. I think that's probably my favorite quote that we've gotten written down for this first part. Because how many times... And as parents, John, I think we're guilty of it. Sometimes we'll say, don't do that or or do this. And we can, as parents, we're human. We we make mistakes and, and our kids can sometimes get confused, you know, especially when you're on your firstborn and you're trying to figure out and navigate life and you say, don't do this, but then they're allowed to do it and they get confused. And this is really what it's talking about here. It's legalism comes in and, and you're set free, but then all of a sudden you've got these don'ts and and you're going back and forth and you begin to get confused in your mind and you're abandoning, like it says here, spiritual adulthood for childhood. So I, I love that quote of, of all of them on that first part. Yeah, and this next one by Swindoll says, as it goes back to what we were talking about a minute ago about, uh, about going to war. Uh, Swindoll said, don't surrender your freedom. Defend it with your life. Amen. That's right. And then MacArthur said, like an animal loosed from pulling a plow, we should not seek to be hooked up again. Mm. So this, good. this is this is it, guys. I mean, we it's it's and it's easy because our our sinful ten, tendency is to drifts to legalism. Yeah. In many ways, and whether it's legalism that is putting something on someone else or or legalism on our own hearts. It puts extra burdens upon ourselves. But this, then, go ahead. I think think the big thing, John, is it's comfortable to be under someone else's authority. I mean, you think about the children of Israel. They were set free from Egypt, the most oppressive time that they ever were. And one time of heartache came, and they said, hey, let's go back to oppression. Let's go back to what we know is, uh, it may be hard but we know it's safe. We know what we're expected. We know what we're going to get up and do. They enjoyed the, uh, I guess, the knowledge of consistency, I guess. But they were okay with being in bondage. And so many times we as Christians want to be, we may not say we want to be in bondage, but it's easy 
to have a set of rules and regulations. And so I'm just going to follow those things. And I know that I can do my own check marks. I know that I'm doing right. And so life is good. Yep. Well, then Paul drifts the conversation and starts talking about the area of circumcision. All right. And he gets straight up because, and this is something you have to understand because this is important in the context of what he's talking about. But circumcision was a part of Jewish culture and part of the law. Mm -hmm. And so um, verse 2, he says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Basically what he's saying is mark my words. He's asserting every bit of his personal and apostolic authority here. He's saying, listen to me right now. Mm -hmm. Then in verse 3, he says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. And uh, either it's circumcision, that is all, all that it currently stood for in Judaism as a way of salvation of Christ. It's the circumcision of Christ. You can't have it, or Christ, I'm sorry, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. You know, either you're going to do this the old way or the new way. There's a reason, James, why it's called the new covenant. The new yeah. covenant. And the old man and new man. I mean, there there is this, this thought of it. Yeah. And so then he talks about, verse 4, justification by circumcision, James. Well, and he gets to this point where, uh, and I think this may have been one of our, when we began in chapter 1, where we talked about some problematic things is fallen from grace means of losing your salvation. Well, read the uh, verse, read the verse. Yeah, yeah. So verse four it says, if I can find out, you are severed from Christ who you, who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So is this talking about losing your salavation? Is this talking about losing your salvation, John? Is, the is Paul saying yeah. here that these guys were once believers, but because they're accepting circumcision now as a means of getting coming to Christ, that now they have fallen from grace? They have they have lost their salvation. They're no longer saved. Is that what he's talking about here? Through our study here, John, uh, we uh, we believe this is not the intent of what Paul is saying to the Galatians. Nope. Uh, Paul is not talking about eternal security here. He is contrasting law and grace he is he's taking the effects of law circumcision and the effects of grace because he begins to start out in verse four he says you who are severed from christ this is grace there who have been justified again grace and then we're going back to the law so he's making this comparison back and forth to say they have fallen from grace is not to say that they have fallen from salvation uh, paul says if you choose the way of salvation instead of grace, then Christ has no benefit to you because you are choosing to follow the law. So his benefits of Christ. Is yeah. Not so what he's saying is if you're going to add a bunch of legalistic things of how you're supposed to live by, then you have nullified Christ's work in your life. You're no longer growing in Christ. Now think about this. Think about this very, very carefully. What Paul's getting at here is that, when you have wrapped yourself up in a life of legalism, your sanctification, your growth process, growing in Christ, has stunted. Mm -hmm. Oh, you may look good. You may do all the great things. You may do all kinds of different things, and people may come to you, but you're not growing closer to Christ. You've cut Christ off from your growth in Christ. Mm -hmm. That's what he's talking about. This is not true for our salvation, but it is true in living the Christian life. Grace is God's free blessing that he gives to us as we live our daily life of faith in him and obedience to his word. Yeah, and this is so so vital. You know, when you think of even a plant, even a, a plant who is out in the weather, if you begin to isolate that plant away from nutrients, away from sun, away from water, away from fertilizer, the plant naturally doesn't grow anymore. It actually begins to decrease in its value or it's not going to produce any type of fruit, which we're going to talk about later. And so in our spiritual life, when we begin to 
nullify ourselves from God's grace, when we begin to nullify ourselves from God's nutrients, you can say, we begin to ourselves fall back into the trap of legalism, Mm -hmm. which is what's happening here, what he's talking about. Wearsby actually said, too, Wearsby said it means fallen out of the sphere of God's grace, Mm. which is basically the same thing we've been saying. Another reason, James, final reason, sort of why we don't believe verse 4 is Paul speaking of losing your salvation Mm -hmm. is it contradicts so much other scripture in the New Testament. It does, especially uh, John 10, you know, John 6. So, yeah, there's just just too much scripture, honestly, that, that... reinforces that truth so then acceptance through faith he counteracts this he's talked about how you're trying to go at this with circumcision and in verses five and six he talks about acceptance through faith read those james so five and six again it says uh for through the spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness for in christ jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith through Faith working through love, John. We can we could even for sake of what we're doing. For in Christ, neither church attendance nor non-church attendance counts for anything. For in Christ, neither in, any type of legalism you want to put in there, wearing skirts, not wearing skirts, music you're going to listen to, not anything that you do counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Uh, and so when we begin to look through this, we begin to see that the true faith is the root, which always leads to the works, uh, followed in time by love. And so when we think through this, this acceptance becomes through the faith that Christ has given us and through the faith that we are in him is where we're planted, where we're growing and what we're producing. I like that illustration that you brought up earlier from verse four about the plant, because here it's sort of like that as well. True faith is the root. It leads to works, the shoot, like you said, followed in time by love, which is the fruit. Mm-hmm. All right? So if true faith is the root, this is what's going to spring forth. But if legalism, if the list of do's and don'ts is the root, production yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah. And, and if, some, it does, if it does happen, it's not going to be producing the fruit that we're going to talk about later. Yeah. It's not going to be producing the true love that Christ has given us. It's going to be oppressive. It's going to be more legalism toward other people. It's going to be judgmental. It's going to be hateful. It's going to be bad rhetoric. It's going to be judging. It's going to be you looking at yourself and saying, man, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I'm looking, man, can you believe that guy over there and how he's dressed coming to Mm, church? Yeah. Because that's what it produces instead of coming into a church and saying, man, I'm so thankful that person's here today. Listen to the word of God. Versus a judgmental attitude toward that person. It it changes even in our mindset of how we even look and talk to other people based on the beginning, the root, and what produces from that root. That's good. That's good. I like what Swindoll, he said some differences between living in the flesh and living by faith. He gives two, two differences. Number one is our approach to personal righteousness is different. Our approach to personal righteousness is different. Yeah, You know, we're not, no longer gauging and trying to achieve personal righteousness by how we look. It's basically where our heart is. And yeah. number two, our lives become characterized by not by laws, but by love. Are you known by love mm. or your standards? Mm. Are mm. you known? Are you known by how much you love others or how much you're separated from others? Reminds me of a song right now, John, that we're about to sing for Easter. Um, <clears throat> the Crab family, I think, first recorded it, and then the Clark family sang it. Um, but it's called My King is Known by Love. Mm. And, man, it's a, such a powerful song because it goes through and it talks about what other kings are known by. And then it goes into Jesus and what he's known by. And ultimately, what are we going to be known by? So, great song. It just when you said that, it reminded me of it. So, I wanted to interject that. Verses 7 through 15, uh, we begin this talk of how we interact with one another, a serious talk with one another. Um, and verse 7 through 9, Paul uses this statement, 
and he says, you were running well. I've heard, I think, a couple of pastors preach a message on that in chapel when I was in Bible college. Uh, John, do you remember that message? You did run well? Yes. <laughs> Uh, that was by he was the, actually talking about this passage right here. Yeah, he was, and it was uh, by the great Tony Shirley, uh, Tony Hudson. Tony Hudson, not Shirley, and uh, he preached. You did run well, but what hindered you? And so <clears throat> we get this statement: Who hindered you? And uh, MacArthur says this: The question seems rhetorical, designed as most rhetorical questions, not for purposes of information gathering. And really, this is the whole point, <clears throat> but to make the reader think about himself. The first and most hold on, hold on, obvious. Hold yeah, okay. hold on for before you read the next part. So, I, one thing that I want to point out that he starts to do here is he starts to he's going to talk about one anothering. He's going to talk about how we interact with others, mm-hmm. but he starts off by talking about the Judaizers, and essentially, if we broke it down on a simplest level, what were the, the Judaizers were false teachers. The Judaizers were false teachers. And so he addresses them here, and he's pre- – can I say this? Paul's pretty strong about it, and pr- probably a lot stronger than you and I would ever be. Maybe. Maybe we will get that strong sometimes. But I think it, it's surprising to people when you think about how we're supposed to be loving in Christ and that kind of thing, how strong Paul is towards these false teachers. So I think it's important, James, that as we cover these few verses – we recognize that he is addressing these false teachers specifically and then gives some things for them. And so the, the first and most obvious characteristic of a false teacher is that they distort and hinder the truth. Are you distorting the truth? Are you keeping the truth from being taught? Yeah. And then MacArthur continues on to say, the first and most obvious characteristic of a false teacher. Think about this in your own life. Think about this as you evaluate yourself. A couple of weeks ago, we had a great talk about what, how to find help. I'm looking for a church. Help. I'm looking for things in my life, and we talked through some things. The first and foremost obvious characteristic of a false teacher, a false church, someone who's preaching false gospel, is that they distort and hinder the truth. Are people hindering the truth in your life or in the life of people around you because it contradicts what they think is right based on what the Bible says is right? And so when we begin to, to view the world and, and the things around us, begin to put a lens on of are people distorting the truth? Are people hindering the truth from prevailing? How many times has uh, a situation been brought up where someone tries to cover up something? That's hindering the truth. It's covering up. And so Mm, when we as Christianity, when we as Bible-believing Christians, we want the truth to go forward, what's going to hinder the truth? Who hindered you? What hindered you? You could even say that. What hindered you? People hiding the truth. That's what's going to hinder the work of God in any situation. Yeah. And then in verses 8 through 10, he goes on. Uh, are they going to? How are they going to be handled? Are they going to be punished? Verses eight through ten. I'm going to read those three verses. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. First, yeah. we have a characteristic of a false teacher in verse eight: is their ungodliness. He says. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Listen, this stuff is not coming from the godly. Mm-hmm. It's coming from their ungodliness. Then a persecution, a third characteristic of false teachers is that they contaminate the church, spreading heresy among both true believers and would-be believers. He says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. They're not, listen, false teachers want to spread their poison. They want to spread their wrong message. They want more followers to themselves, and they're going to spread it. And then in verse 10, a fourth characteristic of uh, false teachers is their destiny. What does he say? I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one thing who is trouble, the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Yeah. God God's right going to take care of him. Yeah. yeah. And then we move to verses 11 <laughs> and 12, and— um, 
Paul's admonition in verse 11 and 12. Verse 11, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And MacArthur lays out, I think, a final characteristic from this and um, false, from false teachers, and that is they persecute true teachers. They persecute true teachers. Yeah. And that is, those are some God, this is what Paul's laying out for us. Four or five ways to identify people in your life, characteristics in your life that are people around you who are leading you astray. Ungodliness, contaminating the church, false teachers deny their own judgment, and then ultimately they're persecuting true true religious teachers who know the Bible, who follow scripture, who have a proven track record of understanding scripture, they are going against them. Uh, and so these are some, some guidelines for us to use, some check, some some visual things to keep in your mind to be able to check off and say, okay, that doesn't sound right. This does this is red flags, warnings, guidelines that are going to pop up in your life, uh, which is so important. Uh, John, anything else before we move on to the next verses 13 to 15? Uh, verse 12. Says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That's what I'm talking about with the strong language. Yeah. I mean, Paul was very strong in this. What's the context of what you're talking about here? Circumcision. He says, you know what? I wish those who are false teachers that are doing this to you would go the whole way with circumcision and just cut it off. Yeah. That's what? Paul, did you really just say that? Yeah, Paul said that, and it's an inspired scripture. You know, James, I was listening one time doing some research for King James Onlyism, and I was listening to Sam Gipp teach, Mm -hmm. and he was talking about, like, giving an example about how um, newer translations really are— he said, he's like, these new translators—this was his point— the new translators are perverted. Yeah. They're perverted. And his example was he goes to Galatians 5, 12, and in the King James, I think it says— I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. Yeah. And Sam Gipp says, what does that mean? And he talks about how he believes that that is just simply talking about kicking someone out of the church. They get churched. They've been yeah. excommunicated. And he says these guys write in these new translations, not just cut off, but they're, they're emasculated. And he's like, that's perverted. And I'm like, dude, read the context. Or better yet, how about this? Look up the Greek word. No. Quite honestly, the King James is a little bit more explicit. Yeah. You just cut it off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're so true. You're so true. All right. So now we're going to move to verse uh, 13 and 14. Yeah, 13 and 14. It says, again, read it to recap your memory. For you who were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Yep. James, you know, when you go through a lot of the Scripture and New Testament, whenever you're instructed to either avoid something or instructed to do something, you should always be able to find a put off and put on. Yeah. When, when the Bible's telling you not to do something, it's also going to tell you to do something Mm -hmm. again to replace it with put off and put on and so i think we see this here in verses 13 through 15 we see a put off and a put on and in verse 13 he's we're getting the put on first and what is he wanting us to put on he's wanting us to put on love for the through freedom he wants us to put on the love serving one another and he explains that in verse 14 the law is fulfilled in one word love your neighbor as yourself yeah uh, Swindoll said, our freedom in Christ is true freedom, but it's freedom with a purpose. And I like this one. Liberty should result in love, mm-hmm. not legalism or license. Yeah. Those are two I mean, niches of the same same truth. You know, you have liberty, not liberty to go and enforce new laws and legalism, and not liberty to go and do however you want and live in sin like license. Yeah. And how many times, John, uh, in Scripture does it say people are going to know that you're my disciple by the clothes you wear, by the words you say, by the way your haircut is, by the tattoos on your arms? No. 
people are going to know that you're my disciple by your love one for another. Yep. That's how they're going to know that we're a follower of Jesus because we have true love. We have religions. We, we don't have this religious made up fake love. We have love that is undefiled love that is truly from the father that we can show because we have been redeemed by that love. And that right there is the gospel, my friend. That right there is allowing the freedom that Christ has given us to embark that to other people. To say, man, how in the world are you able to love right now? It's because we have that freedom in Christ to be able to give that love. So that's the put on. The put off is sort of uh, in, in verse 15. Let's read it. I didn't read it as we were going through it. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So this is this put off. This is this thought of legalism uh, as a result of legalism. What does the church begin to do? We begin to fight and we begin to feud and we begin to argue about the color of the carpet or the type of toilet paper. And when we've been in those churches before, uh, the church is divided. The church is set apart from each other. They are biting and devouring one another. The church and the community of faith are on the verge of destruction and legalism treats people harshly and often, if not more times than not, leads to division. Yep. And that was by Max Anders. And, and and listen, we have got to get to the point where we stop destroying ourselves. Yep. We stop killing brothers and sisters and we build the body of Christ up. How often in our lives do we hear of another brother or sister fallen and we just begin to attack them instead of love the families, love the people that are in that community? You know, when, when things happen, yeah, it's a tragic situation for the church, but there's still people there. There's still people that are going to be harmed. There's still people that need to be loved. And that is our job to build one another up and to love one another, not to be, bring division. Yeah. And, and, you know, honestly, that was happening with these churches. These The legalism had crept in, and what was going on is that they were now biting and devouring one another. Why do you think that is? It is because whenever you attach legalism and enforcing extra biblical standards on other people, then people get puffed up with pride and begin to start judging others. Oh, you're not doing this, you're not doing this, you're not doing this. And then they're offended, and now they're going at it with each other. Then you have policemen that are trying to police those standards, and now they're like devouring one another. They're first abiding remarks, now they're devouring one another. Yeah, and it's it's awful, and that's what was going on. It's a time bomb waiting to be t- kicked. And yeah, and it's it's, it's not it's happens. not what the church is supposed to be, no. which is a loving community that fellowships with one another. But how often, when that explosion does happen, because there's biting and there's bickering, is there people that are hurt that didn't even realize that that was going on? Well, quite quite honestly, a lot of these places. You learn real quick to toe the line, or there is going to be that. And so it looks on the surface like everything is a loving, fellowshipping community. But if you question things, Mm -hmm. if you step out of line, if you're not doing exactly what the rules say you're supposed to do, that biting and devouring comes right in. Yeah, true, true. So then we move to the next section of the chapter. And this is scriptural talk about walking in the Spirit. And he he prefaces this first by talking about the battle that goes on. He sets against the flesh and the Spirit. And so uh, this is verse 16. Mm -hmm. But I say, walk walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, pretty honestly, this is pretty simple. This is this is pretty simple, and that is, the Spirit is opposed to the flesh. The flesh is opposed to the Spirit. It's it's pretty helpful to understand. And he says, if you're living by the Spirit. You're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. What's your best offense against the flesh? It's walking by the Spirit. Now, this is not some kind of mystical, 
I must have this filling of the Holy Spirit, and then I'll be ultra-spiritual, and no sin will ever defeat me. It's not Mm -hmm. what he's talking about at all, and we'll explain that in just a little bit. But when you get to verse 18, he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Why? Because, listen, the law can do absolutely nothing to help you to live righteously. Mm -hmm. The law just lets you know when you're not living righteously. The law lets you know when you've done wickedly. And the Spirit is what empowers you to live righteously. He says, if you're led by that, you're not under the law. Mm -hmm. You're living above the law, if I can say it that way. You're living over the law. Yeah, You're living by something more powerful than the law. That's so good. Yeah. And even to to add to that point right there, John, uh, and we said it before, but Jim Neuheiser says it often, the DSM-5 says what a what a problem is. It gives a good definition of anorexia, um, anxiety, depression, but there's no solution to it. The law gives us a great definition of when we do something wrong, when we steal, when we kill, when we destroy. The law tells us that, but it's the spirit that it gives us the liberty to overcome that. It's the spirit that empowers us to move on and to move over what the law is saying uh, and to find redemption and to find grace and to find freedom in Christ. Uh, The answer to legalism is that the death of Christ set us free from the oppressive and pervasive mandates of the law. Now get this. The answer to legalism, the death of Christ set us free from the mandates of the law. The answer to license, using your liberty to just live any way you please and sin, is that the Holy Spirit is able to set us free from the oppressive and persuasive desire of the flesh. So what's the solution on both ends? What's the solution to legalism, and what's the solution to license? Six-letter word, John. The gospel. That's right. It's the gospel. It liberates you from both. Yeah. And then from the battle that goes to the works of the flesh in verses 19 through 21, and he goes through and he lays out some very specific things that we can struggle with. The first he goes through and he says sexual sins, sexual morality, which is porn or illicit sex activity, goes through impurity, moral uncleanliness, and then sensuality. This is speaks of sexual excess um, as he goes through uh, and begins to talk through now, the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, immorality, and sensuality. And he lays these things out because if he wasn't clear enough before with emasculating yourself, he's saying, I'm going to, Paul is saying, I'm going to go as clear as I possibly can, and I'm going to lay out some specifics for you. I'm going to tell you some things that are going to be the works of the flesh. And then he goes through the sexual sins. The religious sins. John, what are the religious sins that he begins to talk about? Well, it's also important to note that I think I don't think this list is exhaustive. I don't no. think this is one just sort of like find out, final list. I think that there could be other things put in this list. You will see Paul do this regularly in the New Testament. And there are things obviously that are on this that are not on this list that are in other lists. Um, homosexuality is in First Corinthians. Uh, six, but it's not in this list. Murder, that would be a pretty hefty sin, but it's not in this list. So it, in the same way as with the fruit of the Spirit list, they're not necessarily exhaustive, but they do give us a good idea. Now, James mentioned those. I did want to mention, make a little point on the word pornia that is translated sexual immorality in the ESV. It's the first one. Pornia, whenever you see it used in Scripture, it's basically talking about illicit sexual activity. All right, we, that's why we get the word pornography from, but, I mean, this could be anything. So whenever you see condemnations of this, this is pretty much whatever illicit sexual activity is talking about. Or if you see, like, um, regulation of this, or uh, this is for this reason, you need to understand that it's not, like, one set boxed-in definition. This is any type of illicit sexual activity. Now, the next one James said uh, was religious sins. This is basically idolatry and sorcery. Um, 
he says, I think it's idol- yeah, idolatry and sorcery in the ESV. I think another translation translates sorcery, witchcraft. A couple of things. I, I mean, I could spend, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of doing a nine-part series. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm on the last message on idolatry and idols of the heart. So I could really spend a lot of time. I would, I would suggest if you want some, some clarification on idolatry and why it's there, you may say, well, that's sort of an outdated one. Uh, no, it's not. Go listen to our episode with Brad Bigney on gospel treason. Mm-hmm. Now, sorcery is the Greek word pharmakia, where we get our English word pharmacy, where we talk, uh, we use pharmacy talking about um, uh, prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. Sorcery here is the use of drugs for hallucinative reasons. It is basically escapism. Mm-hmm. It's becoming it's 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 the idea of using something or manufacturing something to come under the power of something else. And yeah. it's deemed a work of the flesh or a deed of the flesh and it is deemed as wicked. Now then he goes into uh and John, you know, even personally um I was at the hospital last night till midnight because of someone in our church who wanted to escape mm. with drugs. Mm. It's real. It's happening. It's not something that that is is people brag about, but it happens. And not only does it happen, it hurts people that are around them. Yep. You know, we were in a hospital last night with 15 people, family members, crying because someone was trying to escape the reality of the world. And as a pastor, we're both pastors, and we we deal with these things. Uh, We're giving these as warnings because what seems harmless at first will eventually grow if it's not dealt with through the Spirit. Yep. So So. then he goes into many societal sins. He says uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. And he mentions two others, but we'll get to those in a little bit. Um, Enmity is the attitude of mind that defies and challenges others. Yep. Strife is bitter conflicts uh, and just you've been part of strife where people don't get along and they just begin to conflict and conflict continues to happen. Yeah. And I think that uh, some of us believers need to check ourselves on how Mm -hmm. we're doing with those two on social media. Yeah. John John had to delete his social media because he realized that he was Oh come on with it. Listen to him. Listen <laughs> to just, him. He's just trying to uh air some some grievances there, right? Come on. I smack you upside the head if I was right there. Yeah, but you're not because you're a loser and you're in Tennessee. Well, come uh, on. Je- jealousy, uh, which is what John has often when I sit here with my chair wine and my cookout, uh, it's forms of anger resentment caused by covering com- coveting for oneself. What belongs to someone else, and so that is jealousy. Yeah, fits of anger is sudden, unrestrained expressions of hostility toward others. Uh, rivalries, dissensions, divisions are pretty much self-explanatory. It's 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 creating these divisions among people and dissent uh, among people. Envy is wanting something um, mm. to an inordinate desire. It it gets out of hand, and then he lists two uh, two more. That or more like uh, have to do with um, uh, alcohol related, and that is drunkenness, which you you go listen to the the RFP guys on alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, there are episodes on that. I mean, drunkenness is most definitely a sin. Here's an example of scripture pointing it out that it is sin. Well, this aspect of orgies, and James and I will try not to. We didn't give a warning about explicit language today but i'll try not to be i'll try to be appropriate and not explicit but this is not probably what you're thinking about orgies but in a way it is but the historical understanding of the term used here is not just what you may think today but it has to do with a drunken sexual perversions um and many times it was associated with a god of wine named bacchus and so this and its context is sort of combined what you're thinking of when you hear the term orgy with also uh, only taking place because of uh, drunken behavior. So drunken behavior is sort of the culprit that leads to these things. That's what this term is meaning with orgies. And so, James, what is the result of these things? 
the result of all these things, it is important to distinguish between the occasional indulgence in acts of the flesh. There are going to be times where we're going to sin and we're going to make a mistake. We're going to get jealous of someone's cheer wine. We're going to get anger. We're going to envy. We're going to have dissension and disagreements. We're going to, there's going to be times where these happen, but it is a, but when it is a lifestyle characterized by the same, the, the word is used here in the verse, and it says do, uh, which could also well, ESV, be practice. The ESV says do, and I, I prefer the ESV. I like the ESV, but this is one where I prefer. I don't like that they translated it that way. I don't know if it was the New American Standard or maybe just the, maybe the King. Let me, let me look it up real quick. And I'll read it in the ESV again while you look it up. It says, I warn you, as I warned you before. So he's, he's going back again. He's reiterating what he said that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So so it's this word do. Okay, John? so the King James and the ESV say do. The um I think the the New King James, I think the New American Standard says practice. Yeah. And I think that's the better translation of the term. And Is this it? just simply means you've fallen into a sin. You've practiced it. It's not a lifestyle. No, it's no, not, no, 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 no. You got the. It's the opposite, James. I'm, I'm opposite. Well, look what I'm he says. What, look what he says. He says those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Are we saying here? Is is Paul saying again? Is this another lose your salvation text? Is he saying that if you have been saved and you go and do one of these things one time, that you've you won't inherit the kingdom of God? It's done for you. No. no. What he's saying is, is those that practice this, this is their lifestyle. This is a lifestyle habit. Then they will. Um, it was coming out wrong when I was saying it, but that's what I was yeah, trying I to Yeah, I know say. you were thinking that, but you were saying it the opposite. But okay. it, th that's what it is. It's, we're talking about the practice. So basically what we're saying is if this is characterized as a lifestyle of your life, or maybe many of these are, you're probably not a believer. Unrepentant sin, yeah. Yeah, and so this is something. But they contrast that over to the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the yeah. Spirit, verses 22 and, and 23. And just let me say, I, one of the things that I love about Paul's writings is he does a lot of this contrasting. Yep. He doesn't just, hey, don't do these things, and he ends the book yep. or he ends the chapter. No, he's saying, look, these are the things that you shouldn't be involved in. And then he says, but what you should be involved in is this, the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit, what you should be practicing in is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and against such there is no law or bondage or slavery. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And he begins to go through these nine fruits, these these things that should be byproducts. As we go back to that illustration at the beginning, that root, the, the 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 faith, the stalk, which is the practice, and then the fruit, which is the product. This is what we're going through. These are the products that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is going to allow us to have. And we know songs, and we go through them, and we know about them. But love and joy and peace. The peace is the heart attitude that is brought on from being right with God. Uh, as I'm going to be doing a funeral here in just a couple hours, and I'm going to be talking through Psalms 23, and, and the peace that Jesus gives us, it surpasses all understanding. And again here, this is a hard attitude, the peace that the Holy Spirit brings to us. John, what's the next one? Well, I also want to say about this being fruit. This is not something that you say, oh, I need to work on my love. Yeah. I need to work on my joy. I need to work on my peace. No, what he's talking about here is that these things are the automatic outflow mm -hmm. of the Spirit being dominant in your life. Yeah. So if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, it's not necessarily something that you have to consciously work on. This is the natural outflow of the Holy Spirit in your life. So if you're, if you're being loving, you're being controlled by the Spirit. If you're being joyful, you're being controlled by the Spirit. If peace is that contentment is there in your heart— that's the Holy. That's that's the walking and living by the Spirit. It's not something like, oh, well, tomorrow I need to think about. Oh, I need to do this. No, this yeah. is the natural outflowing of the work of the Spirit in your life. He think, says, of a, think of a tree. Think of a, an apple tree. 
The apple yep. tree doesn't get up and say, oh, I've got to continue to make apples. No, it's an outflowing of the nutrients that's coming through the roots that's into cool. the that's tree good. that that's is good. pushing it out. That's good. That's and it good. happens automatically. It, that's just how it is. And so if we're living that same model of life in our spiritual life as the natural world is, as I said a couple of weeks ago when I preached, God is not going to go against the natural. He, he created order. He created the natural order. Why would he go against that in our spiritual life? In the in the work of, because uh, I'm in a big farm community, I said, none of you are expecting to go out and plant uh, a tobacco leaf because we're in a tobacco area in North Carolina or a berry plant and expect the next day to have a full-grown plant there. Mm-hmm. I said, so why is it that when we plant a seed of love or grace or goodness, we expect the next day to get a reward? If it doesn't work in the natural world, why is it going to work in the spiritual world? Well, another good aspect of that illustration is, is what are you sowing in your heart are you yeah. sowing deeds of the flesh? Are you going? Are you sowing the spirit? You know, are you are you cultivating spirit, the spiritual discipline practices, or are you cultivating, you know, the flesh practices? And whatever is going to come out of that's the fruit that comes out of what's going on inside. Yeah. So you covered love, joy, and peace. Yep. Patience is the next one. Patience, calm willingness to accept situations that are irritating, frustrating, or painful. Then he says kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Gentleness is the humble and gentle attitude that is patiently submissive in every offense while being free from any desire for revenge. And the last one is Mm -hmm. self-control, which, if I'm being honest, that's going to be my my biggest one that I struggle with is self-control. And losing my temper as a redhead, as a guy who, who, uh, you he's know, a ginger. I'm a ginger, and uh, self control is a hard one for me. And so this is one where I've really got to be in tune with the spirit because it's very easy for me to lose my control of my kids, lose my control around other people because I'm not walking in the spirit, and the spirit therefore is not producing the fruit of self control. Um, and then in the last two verses, last three verses, he gives us the instruction about the spirit. Um, and he goes through here. Uh, we'll wrap this up very quickly as time has, has gotten away from us. But the instruction of the Spirit, the last couple of verses, he begins to talk about Christians crucifying the flesh, getting rid of the flesh in our life, and abolishing the flesh. In verse 24, he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And he really gets to the thought of, what are you following after? Are you following after the desires of your flesh? Are you following after the desires of the old man? Or have you destroyed that and crucified that and yeah. following after Christ? You put it to death. Yeah. You put it to death. And that's what John Owen wrote, writes about in his book, The Mortification of Sin, which mm-hmm. I, is one of my top five recommended books. John Owen, The Mortification of Sin by Banner of Truth and Trust. Listen, you put it to death. I mean, you, you, you starve it to death. And then he says, if we live by the Spirit, if we, if we then have life, how did you re, uh, achieve how did, or how did you uh, gain that life in Christ? Well, the Holy Spirit regenerated you, all right? The Holy Spirit came. And so if you live by the Spirit, you now have this life by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another yeah and what's that you see that put off put on principle again yeah. he says live by the spirit do not do this what are these things to not do uh provoking one another envying one another instead put on the spirit of christ the spirit the holy spirit you know there was something in one of the commentaries that i was reading by max anders where he had a section on live by the spirit and he says the bible does not define what it means to live literally to walk by the Spirit. Scripture never explicitly explains this figure of speech. But he goes on to say that the Holy Spirit works in us in at least uh, to do at least four major things. It says he illumines our minds to understand the truth of Scripture. Number two, the Spirit empowers us to be changed into the character of Jesus to live the life of Christ would live if he were in our shoes. Number three, the Spirit convicts us of sin. And number four, the Spirit works in our hearts to cause us to want to do 
want to do the things God wants us to do. Yeah. Which is exactly how Paul ends this. You know, if you're walking in the spirit, you're not going to put yourself other others. You're going to serve one another. You're going to love one another. Yep. So for freedom, Christ right. has set us free. Stand okay. firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What you think, James? Good stuff. I enjoyed doing these studies. I hope our listeners enjoy as well. Let us know if you have enjoyed it. Reach out to us on social media on each one of our on each one of our um, different handles. You can reach me personally. You can reach John at the Four Freedom on Twitter. You can also reach him on Facebook. Uh, if you want to send us an email, you can do that with the old school yahoo.com for freedom ministries at yahoo.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and uh, hopefully you will join us in Kentucky for our meetup up there and uh, looking forward to being up there with some of our friends and hearing great preaching, hearing great teaching and uh, really just being able to fellowship with one another. And so it's been good. Hope you've enjoyed this, John. Yeah. We got one more chapter in Galatians, Galatians chapter six and, uh, We'll be working on that and getting that prepared. But uh, I'll tell you what we'd like to know. Galatians has been more along the theme of what the co- the podcast is about. Mm-hmm. But if you guys would like us, if you guys would like for us to continue to do going through books, like if we wanted to do another book study like this, where we go chapter by chapter, let us know. Let us know. Yeah. If you think that would be something cool, we could do Ephesians or Colossians or something like that. One another Paul's, another Paul's letters. But... We're about to wrap up Galatians. We got a couple things down the pike. We're trying to get lined up and uh, just busy, busy, busy. But um, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we appreciate all of your support. And until next time, James, to God, not the pastor, be the glory. Thanks for listening to the For Freedom Podcast. To find more content like this, please visit rfpnetwork.org to find more podcasts like this one, resources, and meetups to encourage you on your journey.